Welcome, you're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. This is your host, John Marcellero, and this week my guest is the very, very special colleague of mine, Kelly Gumont. Kelly, welcome. Hi, John. It's nice to be here. Hey, I like welcome. coming back on Background Mode. I like you having I like having you on the show. It's basically the John and Kelly show from the old days. <laughs> it is. And in this very special edition, we're going to talk about our favorite recent TV shows, as we yeah. want to do, um, and our reaction to them, because we're both avid streaming viewers. I want to talk about a series that I have gone back and visited. It's called Stargate SG-1. It's derived from the original movie, Stargate, from 1994 with Kurt Russell and James mm-hmm. Spader, and it's owned by MGM. And some developers went to MGM executives and said, we want to do a series based on the original movie from 94. And they got the go-ahead. And they developed a series called Stargate SG-1 for Stargate First Team that went 10 years. It ran from 1997 to 2007. First seasons were on uh, Showtime, and then it switched to the Sci-Fi Channel. I watched it from the beginning in 1997, and I collected all the DVDs. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. Is Richard Dean Anderson. Remember him from MacGyver? Yeah. He was cast as Colonel Jack O'Neill, uh, the, Russell, the Kurt Russell part. Mm-hmm. The glorious Amanda Tapping as Captain Samantha Carter, Air Force officer, later became a colonel, worked her way up. Michael Shanks. I have much to talk about with Michael Shanks. He played the role of Dr. <laughs> Daniel Jackson, who was played by James Spader during the movie, and they cast oh, okay. Daniel Jackson... Uh, they cast Michael Shanks because he looked so much like the youthful James Spader. We see him on TV now on the Blacklist and and uh, other TV shows. But he's he's a very different looking fellow very now. Different looking fellow when he was in his twenties and he had a head full of hair and big glasses. Christopher Judge as a Jaffa that joins the team. Tilk and Don S. Davis. I'll have some comments about him who plays Major General George Hammond. So. The premise is that this ancient civilization built a series of stargates using wormhole technology or an Einstein-Rosen bridge. That's a speculative structure that links disparate points in space-time. So instead of having to travel through space-time at the speed of light and taking centuries to get to the nearest stars, uh, you can travel to another stargate in just a few seconds through an Einstein-Rosen bridge. And this ancient civilization built these stargates and put them on lots of planets in the Earth's sun's neighborhood. And a long time ago, an evil civilization came through a stargate in Egypt and established their presence and tried to enslave humans, abducted them, took them off to another planet called Abydos. And eventually the humans... Through the through the cooled out, buried the stargate so nobody could come back because it blocks the the event horizon from developing, and so you can't travel through the gate anymore when it's buried in sand. But eventually, it gets unburied and it's pressed into service, and it's an Air Force team is formed in Cheyenne Mountain, and this team of four is just the first stargate team, and what they end up doing is visiting different planets. And their original charter is to um, investigate nearby planets for technology development or possible threat. 
but it ends up being more larger in scope than that and end up encountering evil civilizations, the Gould and others, and uh, it becomes very sweeping in its scope. And uh, the reason I like it so much is because, of course, it's a military, Air Force military <laughs> themed show. Yeah. And um, so it starts about a year after the events of the movie. Now, that was going to be my question is what relationship it has to what happened in the film. Is it just uh, something happened before the show starts that unearthed the Stargate and things happened? Or do they tie back to it pretty closely? They tie back to it pretty closely. The character names are the same. Even Jack O'Neill's personal history events of a son accidentally killing himself are re-portrayed. But the series, for the sake of... The TV series, for the sake of excitement, has gold coming through the Stargate as it's active. And then they go back in time and show the story of how the Stargate, which is just apparently one of a couple on Earth, that uh, I think one falls into the hands of the Russians. Uh, The history of how it was resurrected, brought back to Cheyenne Mountain, pressed into service. There's an episode in season one where they show how engineers right after World War II were trying to figure out how the darn thing works. They didn't have supercomputers. They didn't have a dialer. They didn't understand stellar motion. They didn't really know what they had on their hands. And then so it went dormant for a long time. And then in time, computer technology enabled them to properly dial into uh, the, the coordinates of nearby planets and visit them. So the, the, okay. the early series is a lot like Star Trek in the sense that there's a Star Trekian influence on them as they visit these other planets and do their initial forays. Later it becomes grander in its scope as the Earth battles the evil civilization, the Gould. And what's interesting is, is that the Gould enslave their hosts by um, injecting this snake-like larva into them, which becomes a substitute for their immune system and controls them. And, and, and it's used by the goal to enslave species. And it's this weird, creepy-looking little snake character that lives in your belly and provides your immune system. And if it dies, you die. And you can, you can have a really great immune system while it's alive, but you're subject to the goal and you're a slave to them. So... Oh, that's, the th- that's the thesis of it. And I remember when I first watched it, I wasn't so creeped out by these little snake creatures that the, the cool larvae represent. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was fascinating to me about the series is that when I started watching it in 1997, it was very techy and very cool and military. And <laughs> there was a stargate, you know, you could travel to other planets. But then they were surrounded by CRTs. And they were surrounded by <laughs> reel-to-reel tape recorders. And there were no cell phones. So it makes us circumspect about our technology. Yeah. Uh, maybe our Starship technology, where, you know, where we have certain kinds of displays on the bridge. Yeah. Of but, course they wouldn't have cell phones. There's no reception in space. <laughs> yeah, the, the cell phone is a prop for a lot of shows these days. <laughs> well, but it also takes away from a lot of shows. Like when you watch older mystery programs and stuff um you know where someone is or what that person's doing you know a lot of movies end would end prematurely now because somebody would just call you and go hey the killer's at your house or whatever you know and and it would vanish now 
you mentioned when you first started watching this show that you didn't have any problem with the the ghoul, the the creepy earworm things. Snake Has that changed? Yeah, I mean, I I think I was, when I was twenty years younger, I just accepted it as something something weird. But now it really kind of creeps me out in a way that it didn't before. Maybe my social, politically correct <laughs> sensitivities have changed over time, and it's just seeing you know, having this snake living in your belly that's ugly um, creeps me out more than it did before. I don't know why. Maybe well, maybe it's my just evolution as a as a thinker. Well, it's interesting you brought that up specifically, like the first time I watched this, like I had a very different reaction to it than I do now, because uh, that's a thing I want to discuss about my first pick, uh, which is The Punisher, uh, a Marvel show on Netflix about the Marvel character, The Punisher. Um, And the reason is because I was um, I was trying to catch up on my Marvel viewing and I was watching Daredevil, uh, which is another Marvel show on netflix and i was watching daredevil and they were mentioning frank castle a bunch of times he's the punisher and are these still on netflix because i thought netflix marvel series had been subsumed by disney well they're available still um for how long i do not know but netflix owns those shows because they were some sort of team up i don't know what the mechanics are of how long that relationship will last but at least for now all that stuff's still there okay sorry so turn from subroutine no, that's okay. Uh, the the first time I watched Punisher, um, I watched the I watched the first season all the way through, and I got partway through the second season, and like they released a new season of Jessica Jones or something, and um, so I kind of ditched Punisher after that. But um, I went back and I was watching Punisher again, and there's a it's a violent show. I'm not gonna sugarcoat that. Um, there's there's not a lot of bad language and there's not a lot of adult situations or sexual dynamics or anything like that, that you really have to worry about. Um, the thing about this show mostly that makes it not a kid's show, which a lot of people think, you know, like if it's based on a comic, it must be for kids. Punisher is not a kid's comic. Punisher was never a kid's comic. If you want kids comics, I have loads of other recommendations for that. Um, but not Punisher. And, uh, the first time through when I was watching Punisher, you know, like, he was justified and all of that was, was part of his ethos, you know, and, and like, you know, he was standing up for himself and he was getting revenge on all these people and all this. And this time through watching it, like I'm sad for him, but I'm also sort of not feeling the fight scenes. Like at first, you know, when I first watched it the first time through, um, you know, it's, it's been like three years or whatever. Cause I watched Punisher when it first came out and, and watching it the first time through, it was great. And this time, like, I don't want to watch all this violence. I don't want to see all the fighting. I don't need to see. And the thing about the fundamental difference between Daredevil and Punisher is that the Punisher doesn't feel the least bit bad about killing anybody. And Daredevil never wants to kill anybody. So there's a lot of fighting in Daredevil and there's a lot of people who come really close to being dead as a result of violence. But the dirt, but the guy Daredevil himself never kills anybody and Punisher, like his whole point is these people murdered my family and these people need to be dead now. And I'm going to find every one of them and I'm going to hunt them down and I'm going to make them die in some way that makes them feel as much pain as I feel over having lost my family. Basically is his sort of noticed that one of the things that, uh, script writers do and producers do is they create a sympathetic character 
they set you up mm-hmm. is he or she is handsome or good looking has some sort of characteristic that you like and appreciate you associate with you know they have lofty goals or they have some sort of character that makes you feel close to them or sympathize with them or like them and then mm-hmm. be, because you're on their side they're entitled to perform a lack all sorts of acts of evil in the name mm-hmm. of vengeance or right. justice and then you're okay with that and that, that's a subtle manipulation that I don't think I appreciate. Yeah, I like I knew going in, like, to be fair, like full disclosure here. I read Punisher comics when I was younger. I did not super young, but like younger than I am now. Um, I did read them. And as a story, they were a well-constructed story. And, uh, you know, there doesn't tend to be a lot of dialogue during a, a violent fight scene. So if these two pages have no speech balloons on them, I can just skip to the next page and read, you know, whatever the next thing is, like, as far as the conversation that they're having in the comics. So I knew going in that Punisher was going to be a much darker show than most of the stuff I'd seen on Netflix. It was going to be a much more violent show than most of them. I knew going in, like I knew what I signed up for when I hit play on the Punisher. Let me, let me start there. But you know, the first time through, like I did kind of root for him and stuff, but I think the last couple of years have kind of told me like, I don't need any more violence. I don't need any more. Like, I don't care how justified it is. Like I'm not, enjoying this and so i have found myself skipping through a lot of it just just to sort of you know because i what i wanted to do i went back to to re-watch some of it because i was forgetting some details in watching daredevil and so i went back to watch more punisher and uh and i really haven't been enjoying it and so i might just go like read a recap here and there to get caught up so that i can go back to watching mm-hmm. daredevil which is really what i want to do and and like it really caught me short which is why i wanted to talk about it with you today um because i know you like some of the marvel stuff i do i like jessica jones and i i like jessica jones the first season a little more than the second season because i appreciated her self-discipline her use of her powers in season one was very Mm -hmm. subtle and very controlled and Mm -hmm. i i liked that and and in the second season jessica kind of lost control a little bit and went over to the dark side she ended up killing that fellow who was giving her a hard time at the end in his house and got away with it. And yeah. I didn't appreciate that. And I think it was a reaction to the fact that Jessica Jones had these powers in the first season and people were going, yeah, yeah, let's see some more action. Let's see her really, you know, kick ass. Yeah. And um, so that's the influence I think there was on the second season. And I didn't care for that as much. Yeah. And the thing that sort of caught me short was realizing like I ate this up the first time through and now no, I'm it's really leaving me cold. And my feelings about Frank castle, who's the punisher are the same. Like I'm sad for him. He's broken. I understand why he feels like this is what he needs to do, but this isn't, you know, but yeah, like that's where it stops. Like I can't justify the rest of it anymore. So I found like for me, that was a very interesting evolution. And, you know, I've, I've found occasionally in sampling other TV shows and stuff like, wow, that didn't age well. You know, at the time I didn't think anything about that joke or that storyline or that character. And now like I see it in a completely different way. 
Yeah. So it's it's yeah. been an interesting thing Watching because how shows I didn't age watch is Punisher. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't watch Punisher all that long ago. It's not that old a show. <laughs> so it's not like, oh, I watched this when I was small and, you know, when I was a kid and, you know, wow, it's a lot different than I remember in this way, but that's like not really what's happening. So to me that was surprising and uh I just and so that was a thing I wanted to discuss. Like know that it's violent but it is an interesting show. Punisher's an interesting character. And if you want to find out more about him, because you watched Daredevil and they talk about him a lot there, like you can get a lot more color from this other show. But for me personally now, like watching the, like I skip through all the fighting and just wait until somebody's talking and then, you okay. know, watch that instead. All right. So we're going to have to go to commercial now. Okay. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about AppCam for girls, a subject near and dear to your heart. And then we'll continue on with some other favorite TV shows. But first, yes. we have to take this short commercial break. Folks, stay with us. I'm chatting with the Mac Observer's Kelly Gamat. We'll be right back. Today, our sponsor is Linode. Linode helps you design, develop, and deploy in the cloud. You can build dedicated CPU, distributed applications, hosted services, websites, and CI slash CD environments. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Linode is focused on simplicity, service, and value. The goal is to maximize the benefit you receive from your cloud by making it cost-effective to deploy robust compute, storage, and networking services that meet your ever-changing performance needs. Featured are native SSD storage, a 40-gigabit network, and industry-leading processors. Pick from any of 10 worldwide data centers, including the newest in Toronto. Pay only for what you use with hourly billing across all plans and add-on services. Plus, 24 by 7 live customer support is always just a phone call away. You'll be able to deploy and maintain your infrastructure simply and cost-effectively. Plus, Linode's tools make it easy to provision, secure, monitor, and backup your cloud. To learn more, visit linode.com slash bgm. That's l-i-n-o-d-e dot com slash bgm. And receive a $20 credit when you use promo code bgm2019. Thanks, Linode, for being our sponsor. We're back on chatting with Kelly Gamond about our favorite TV shows. Kelly, you wanted to say something special about something dear to your heart, AppCam for Grills. Take it away. <laughs> I do. Um, it's it's sort of a plug uh, for AppCam for Girls, which is a, a registered nonprofit for people who um, enjoy that sort of thing. And I'm a founding volunteer of AppCamp. I've been with them with the organization since the beginning. And it's a week-long camp for um, rising eighth and ninth graders. So anybody who's in seventh or eighth grade right now who is a girl or female identifying or non-binary, uh, gender non-binary, non-conforming, uh, we accept all of them. And we do a week-long day camp and build an, a complete functioning iOS app. They all get released in the app store at the end of camp season. And they're really great. And like the apps are really fun. They're super creative. You can go check them out uh, because they are still, they are all available in the app store. And uh, right now there's a t-shirt campaign that's going on. Uh, we've, we've got a new shirt this year. Uh, last year we had a, a particular shirt design for uh, people who wanted to wear a nifty new shirt to WWDC. This year we've got a new shirt. Uh, the one we call the purple shirt. You don't have to have a purple one, but we, we have a purple one each year for uh, our friend and uh, former camp administrator, Michelle Petruzzi, who uh, was also a founder, a founding member of camp. And uh, a lot of the, 
administration stuff that had to happen, the nuts and bolts of actually finding space and actually, you know, locating the office and actually uh, putting together the permission slips and all those kinds of like little nuts and bolts things that have to happen for camp. She did all of that and she passed away of pancreatic cancer a few years ago. And uh, so uh, purple ribbons are the ones for pancreatic cancer. So every year we do a purple shirt in her memory. And this year's purple shirt has a new redesign of the owl logo for camp. And it was done by Ged Mayhew of the icon factory. And it's, I love the design so much. It's such a great design. It's really, really nice. We have a couple of versions of shirt. We have both men's shirts and women's shirts available. It comes in blue or purple. And you can go get that from Cotton Bureau. Uh, John will have a link to put in the show notes. But that campaign is up right now. If you're going to be a person at WWDC in June, uh, the Live Near WWDC tickets just went on sale. So if you want to make sure you get in on that, we have regular, regular tickets for people who want to come to the party. And we have VIP tickets for people who want to come and get... Uh, exclusive seating and and uh, a little nicer place to sit for the show and different things like that. So uh, both of those are available at live near com. Again, there'll be a link in the show notes. And uh, that's what we're up to right now. And if if you're interested in camp and want to find out more, you can talk to us. Uh, if you want to donate to camp, uh, what I can tell you is that if you go and if you go to app camp for girls dot org uh that's a number four app camp the number four girls dot org uh you can find our our donation page and if you go to the donation page and you say that you heard about the pod you heard about app camp through background mode john's podcast and that you heard me here talking about it uh you will get something special in the mail aside from you will get a receipt for your for your donation because it is a nonprofit, we will send you that receipt but also you will get something special in the mail from me if you go there and donate i will send something to you uh personally if you say that you heard about it on background mode excellent excellent thank you for filling us in on that so part two of the show uh, i want to talk about another show that i really really love um this is uh, called endeavor with v-o-u-r at the end Mm-hmm. It is a BBC mystery series. It's on Amazon oh, no. Prime. It started oh, no. in 2012 and it's continuing still. And what it is, it's a prequel to the long-running BBC series Inspector Morse, which ran from 87 to 2000. Oh, no! And like that series, <laughs> it's primarily set in Oxford. And Sean Evans plays the young Endeavor Morse, beginning his career as a detective constable. I love the oh. British series because they're so intellectual and they're so thoughtful and they're so mystery driven and and intricate and quiet and absorbing there's there's no very few explosions (laughs) you have to really pay attention um yes he starts off as a detective constable that's the lowest level detective Mm -hmm. and sort of like an apprentice and then there's detective sergeant ds which is a support mm-hmm. person, and then there's usually the guy who leads the investigation, a detective inspector called a DI. So there's DC, DS, and DI. And then if you get to the next level, it's DCI, the detective chief inspector, probably only in bigger uh, okay. towns. And they've got this chief superintendent who's kind of a doofus, and <laughs> so it kind of plays off the intelligence of, uh, of Endeavor Morse. And his sidekick and his mentor is this wonderful character played by Roger Allen called Fred Thursday, who wears a raincoat and a 50s kind of fedora 
Oh and my he's gosh. kind of large and imposing and kind of a tough guy, but really smart detective. <laughs> so Columbo, inspector. UK? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only a little more physically imposing and a little more colorful. And uh, he takes Inspector, he takes Detective Constable Morris under his wings. Sometimes he has to defend his idiosyncrasies against the superintendent's doofusness and cluelessness. And I've been watching the first season, and I'm in, just starting the second season, and there's four more seasons to go. But the reason why I like mm. it is because, because Detective Constable Morris is quiet, good-looking, intelligent, loves classical music. He's a keen reader. Out of college, which he didn't finish, he was served in the British Signal Corps and, and, and learned about encryption and and uh, communication. So, you know, he's, he's kind of a, a smart, young, technical guy for the 1960s. And he's very observant. In a recent episode I was watching, there were these three women who were strangled and they were trying to figure out whether they were linked or not. And they said, well, no, they're just... The, the chief superintendent and Fred Thursday at first thought, no, they're not linked at all. And D.C. Morse just looks at her and he says, yeah, well, you know, they're all married and none of them were wearing a wedding ring. And they look at each other and they go, how did we miss that? You know, <laughs> he is just so observant and he uses his readings and his studies and his classical music training to um, think through uh, the cases and it's a, it's a glorious thing to watch him walk through in his doggedly studious intellectual way and get to the bottom of things now every episode opens up with some classical music which is kind of weird and they make <laughs> some people off and then of course the show has to set the stage and so sometimes it gets off to a kind of a slow start the running time is 90 to 98 minutes so like a lot of British series there's only a few per year and they're like mini movies uh, but um, Sean Evans, who plays D.C. Morse, and Roger Ellum, who plays Fred Thursday, are just charming and delightful. And uh, I love this show, and I highly recommend it. What do you think? Interesting. Well, I, on paper, this show was basically custom-made for me. Oh. Because it's British, and it's a mystery, and it's a prequel to one that I have watched a little bit of. Um, and so... For me, that's great. And one of the things that I think is a fundamental difference or used to be a fundamental difference between British television and American television is that British television does not British television does not hit you over the head with everything. British television gives their audience a certain amount of credit you need to be able to keep up. Yeah. In in shows respect like this respect for the audience. Right. There's a certain level of of respect for um, and, and they do a really good job of like, if you figure it out that if you figure it out before the people on the show do, then it's just tension for you and you're super invested in like, but I know what's behind the door or I know who's already in the house or whatever, you know, and then it's just tense for you, but they also don't hit you over the head with he's already in the house. You bunch of morons in case you couldn't keep up. Like, I, I, I watch Endeavor with my wife and we have theories and I say, well, okay, well, here's my working theory. What do you think? And she'll shoot it down and she'll say, no, because, because this and that and this and that I go, Oh yeah, you're right. So we're constantly forming theories and checking them against each other as we go through the show, mm -hmm. trying to stay ahead of the plot and trying to figure out what's going on. Sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I love that kind of show. And 
like the only kind I like better is uh, I have this question and then the show answers it, but the answer gives me five more questions. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's like my favoritist kind of show. That's like science. Uh, yes. But close second. question answered out leads to new questions. Yes. That's, that's my favorite. Okay. So that's the answer, but then why this and how come that? And if that's true, then what about this other thing over here? How do you explain it? And yes, it's very much like science. You have to keep um, a lot of things in your mind at the same time and you have to yes. generate a coherent thought train a lot like programming. <laughs> Yes. Where you have to remember that you created a variable by some name so that you don't misspell it the second time and your code doesn't work. Or call it something completely different and then, you know, you get half, it gets halfway through executing code and goes, you told me mm. to look for this thing, it's not here, crash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's Endeavor. Um, it's, it's on Amazon Prime. It's free Endeavor. with your yeah, subscription. And- you don't have to pay for it in the extra <laughs> if you have a Prime subscription. That's why I kept saying, oh no, because you were like, it's British. And oh, it's a, yeah. a procedural, and you already have it for free. It's just sitting there waiting for you. So I'm I'm doomed. Is what is what I'm hearing. From this. Well, I have some other favorites like Death in Paradise and Shetland, which I I swear to you, listeners, I will get Kelly to watch Shetland with Inspect <laughs> Di Detective Inspector Di Jimmy Perez in the Shetland Islands. It's glorious. The photography and the music is incredible. I've had the music creator, John Lunn, on background mode last year. <gasps> and we played some snippets from the uh, music of uh, Shetland, and he explained what instruments were used. It was just an awesome show. So if you like British mysteries, I recommend starting with Death in Paradise, which is light and fun and surf and sand in the mythical island uh, in, uh, the, in the Caribbean islands. And... Uh, and also uh, Shetland. So, uh, mm-hmm. and then when you're then when you've earned your wings and you're um, <laughs> accustomed to the British series, then you can graduate to Inspector Morse and or Endeavor. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. Now, okay, that is my favorite. Is, well, that's my favorite kind of show. Um, I think my current favorite example of you have this question and now the show will answer the question. And that answer gives you five more questions is Westworld. And I know this may not be your bag, John, but what I will say to people who may not be familiar is that it's loosely based on the Yul Brenner movie from the seventies. And that, um, uh, what's interesting about it is that, uh, multiple viewings pay off in very different ways. So if you watch the, like, even if you just talk about the first season, if you watch the first season all the way through, uh, you have this one emotional journey through the show. And then when you get to the end and you know, all of the things that you know about the season, and then you go back to the first episode and start again, you have a very, very different emotional journey through the season. And that to me is a really, really good show. Is that because so, the show reveals itself in layers and you discover more mm-hmm. and more about the subtleties of the show? So the yes. second time you view it, you're more informed about what's happening? Yes. And you have a whole bunch of, by the time you get to the end of the season, you have a lot of insight into why some people do what they do, how some of the people are, are ah. motivated. So you find out some stuff near the end of the of the season. And then when you go back and watch again, knowing what you know about those motivations, those agendas, those uh, 
those things these people know or are trying to achieve or whatever. When you go back through and watch the season, you have a very different set of feelings and conclusions about that, com- that conversation those two people just had. Like the first time through, oh, that person, I stargate. You have a different perspective when you watch it 20 years later. Mm -hmm. Some of of the stuff you thought was enthralling the first time can seem a little cheesy 20 years later. Oh, sure, sure. But it's a theme for this episode here. The evolution. Yes. The rewatch. Rewatch. Yep. Um, I will. But I will also tell you, like, I do enjoy lighter fare. (laughs) I do like some things that that are like I also enjoy well-crafted, like the the examples we've given so far are well-crafted shows mm-hmm. um you know westworld is by uh, uh, the two people responsible for westworld primarily are lisa joy and jonah nolan and uh they were also the people responsible for a tv a network show called person of interest so that was a show that did the same sort of thing where um the answer to your question, the the show presents you with a question and then they present you with an answer, but that answer just leads you to more questions. And it was a really interesting program about like surveillance and things. And it makes you think about a lot of stuff. Um, I don't want to go into that too much because that wasn't my pick. My pick is a show that I like because it's well-crafted and it's uh, the Goldbergs and the Goldbergs is a half hour sitcom on ABC. And what I love about it is primarily nostalgia like i'm gonna completely confess it's um it's the nostalgia because it's set in 1980 something so the creator of the show is this fella adam f goldberg and he taught and he had he had like a vhs recording video camera strapped to his shoulder for a lot of his childhood which took place in the 80s so he has all this crazy video of stuff that was from everyday pieces of his life. And he's taken those bits and pieces and turned them into fodder for a sitcom basically. And so at the end of each episode, you get to see the video of the thing, the actual video of the actual thing that happened that they talked about on the show. And so it's this really interesting juxtaposition of like, this was how things actually happened to this to adam goldberg as a child and here's what they looked like in in the tv show and like there was an there was an episode with an incident involving a golf cart and so they had video of the actual incident involving the golf cart and they have all kinds of crazy stuff about it that's super super great everyone on the show is a really good actor it's all really like well done and you can feel the love in all of this like you know he's making fun of his childhood and you know doing all of that when he when he does all of this stuff but it's all it's all done with love and it's all done with care like he wants to make sure those details are right that thing is correct you know and he talks about like interviewing other people from his childhood or members of his family like i remember it this way did i get it right you know and then adds the video for it and it's it's a fun show to watch and they occasionally will do an homage episode to a particular movie or a particular TV show or different things. And it's all really fun to watch. And so if you get an opportunity, I highly recommend checking out an episode or two. You don't have to know a bunch about what's happening. It's one of those sort of long running sitcoms where you can uh, drop in for a few episodes and that's fine. But if you watch 
all of them or you know you watch a whole season at a time or whatever like you get a little bit better informed about some of the characters but you don't have to have that information in order to enjoy it so it's a fun show okay cool i'll check it out one more pitch and i just have a minute left and i want to talk about um electric dreams which is appearing now on amazon prime also free if you have a subscription it's in high definition okay electric dreams is a science fiction television anthology series based on the works of philip k dick we all know philip k dick from do android dream of electric sheep turned blade runner and he was one of the most interesting and bizarre minds of science fiction in the past and i've watched the first episode of electric dreams and it shows promise so um if you're interested in some really cool science fiction stories written by british and american writers showcasing the, the thoughts and works of philip k dick so check out Electric Dreams on Amazon. And that is all we have time for. Okay. So this has been a grand tour. I love it. I like having you on the <laughs> show to talk about our favorite shows. There's an interesting theme, the revisit thing in our reactions yeah. to shows we've seen in the past and how our, our viewer mentality changes over time. Whether the show was 20 years ago or six months ago, how we evolve in our understanding of shows very interesting concept. So thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I had a really good time talking to you about it. I did too. Folks, this is the end of the John and Kelly show, but we will be back. (laughs) Folks, you've been listening to the Mac Observer's background mode. We'll see you again next week. Yay.